All right, guys, welcome back to Lesson 17. Here we are plowing through the book of Genesis, Genesis 32 through 33. Now, we know at this point, Jacob and his wives are leaving Laban. Remember, Jacob had just praised the Lord, given public faith in Genesis 31. God is involved. They're on their way and God's angels meet him. Now, we are talking about angels. Angels are also known as messengers, okay? The role of an angel, okay, if you would go to uh, Hebrews 1, verse 13 and 14, just want to give you a description of angels, messengers, or ministering spirits. It says, now, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? In verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? Angels, ministering spirits, messengers are to help advance uh, the kingdom of God, to help point people to to the Lord, and their role is, is to help us do that. And so all of a sudden, God's angels show up and meet Jacob as he's on his way. Rich, do you remember, based on Genesis 31, where are they on their way to? They are on their way to Canaan. They're on their way to Canaan. Chapter 32, verse 2, when he saw them. In other words, when Jacob saw the angels, Jacob said, this is God's camp. So he called that place Mah. <laughs> Rich? Mahanaim. Mahanaim. It means double host or double camp. In other words, it means two camps. God is sending like a massive amount of angels. I love this. He's sending help and he's saying, oh, by the way, I'm with you. In fact, there's this weird theme. Two camps, two families, two meetings, two brothers, as Constable says. The con- it's a constant two, two, two. And so here's what happens in verse 3. It says, Jacob sent messengers. So Genesis 32, verse 3. Jacob sent messengers. Now, we had this dialogue about the, the word messengers. A lot of uh, theologians believe that this word messengers is implying angels. You know, can I say that 100%? I can't. But when you study the original text, it sure looks like it's implying that God is sending his angels. Uh, and so whoever it is, God is sending some serious help ahead of him. As he's sending angels ahead of him, messengers ahead of him, servants ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, uh, the country of Eden. Now, why is this a big deal, you guys? Why is this a big deal? He hasn't talked, right? What happened with Jacob and Esau? See, stole his birthright, stole his blessing, and basically was ready to kill him, so he ran off. And they haven't had interaction since then. All of those things that Jacob did, stole or or, uh, sold or bought, this isn't good. And so, yeah, you guys go ahead. That's great. Got it. I'll follow up. I mean, that's probably the mentality, but he says, no, no, God says, I'm going to be with you. And so I don't know if he's nervous or not, but watch in verse four, we'll get to that point. He commanded them, you are to say to my Lord Esau. Now, right away, I already know. I feel like he's nervous. I feel like he's kissing up right here. Say to my Lord Esau, Lord, it's his brother. This is his brother he's talking about. And so just, just from a fleshly reading this, this is what your servant Jacob says? What, what are you talking about? Servant and Lord? I, you guys could read it differently, but I'm telling you, it feels like all of a sudden his trust is in his stock of how this is going to go, not how God's been in this. And so he's, it feels like he's just kissing up. By the way, make sure everything you say is good. You know, this is what your servant Jacob says. I've been staying with Laban and I've been delayed until now. He doesn't go into any details about anything. Oh yeah, I've worked my tail off for 14 years. Rachel, Leah, sons. 
He just says, I've been delayed. And then it says in verse 5, I have the oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female slaves. I've sent this message to inform my Lord, there it is again, in order to seek your favor. Now, I get it. He's nervous. I get he's taken everything away, but I don't know. It just seems to me Jacob's playing an interesting card. Genesis 32, verse 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, okay, they had already just met Esau. They said, we went to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you, and he has 400 men with him. I don't know. I guess to me, at that point, I might have been nervous, but you should also know that 400 is a typical standard militia number. And in verse 7 of Genesis 32, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. I think he probably wet his pants. <laughs> well, you're reaching there. I don't see that. <laughs> All I know is this, man. My brother who I stole my birthright, uh, the blessing and the birthright, and he's got 400 guys. <laughs> it doesn't say that he went, he wet his pants, just so you know. It's not in Scripture. I just, that, those are my things, I think. Like, this guy got really nervous. And so right away, out of haste, out of impulse, he divided the people with him into two camps. Along with the flocks, cattle, and camels. All right, let's go back really quick. Okay, Mahanahaina Hayama Hima. Genesis 32, 2. Okay, go there, Kevin. This is God's camp. So he called that place Mahananaim, which means what? Double camp, two camps, or double host. I, ready for this one? I actually believe God knew that this was going to happen. I actually believe that God knew that this was going to take place. And so he already went ahead and, and went ahead of Jacob's uh, worries and anxieties. Think about this. How about the seed of the serpent? God had another answer already once Adam and Eve did what they did. Why can't this happen in the same way of Jacob when he gets nervous? God just says, oh, I, I get it. Imperfect people for a perfect plan. I got it already figured out. That becomes this constant theme of imperfect people for a perfect plan, and he's still going to do it. And so watch in verse 7. I know he didn't go to the bathroom, but he was greatly afraid. He was distressed. He divided the people within him two camps with the flocks, cattle, and camels. One commentator said, like, they're in dire straits right now. Like, his whole point right now of Jacob's life is that he wants to protect himself and not really worried about anybody else. So much so, it's weird how uh, Warren Wearsby says this, a guilty conscience often makes us see the darkest possible picture. Now, you catch this. Because of his conscience for what he did to Esau, he already has like destruction done on his life. And so what happens is that when you sin in your life, if you haven't taken care of it, and if you haven't given it to the Lord, everything becomes heightened, everything becomes worse. And so he has to see reconciliation take place with his brother. He just hasn't gotten to that point yet. There's been no inner healing. Do you guys like that? There's been no inner healing with Jacob. And so this is what he says in verse eight. He thought, hmm, hmm. If Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, the remaining one can escape. So maybe he's trying to be shrewd. Maybe he's trying to be wise. But what he does now in verse 9, praise the Lord, is that Jacob actually turns to the Lord in prayer. In, in uh, a couple verses, 9 through 12, Jacob talks to the Lord. Now remember, in Genesis 31, Jacob actually admits to his wives, Leah and Rachel, that God is in this. But then what he also does is now he's turning to God in prayer. And he says, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. 
The Lord who said to me, go back to your land and to your family and I will cause you to prosper. So here's what he's saying. He literally is getting on his knees and he's addressing God because God has gotten him to this point. And I, I, I love his prayer and it's a great model for us. And in verse 10, watch this as it unfolds. And in verse 10, he says, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. Indeed, I've crossed over this Jordan with my staff. And now I've become two camps. Verse 11, here comes the petition. So in verse 9, you have what uh, one commentator says, you have the invocation. And in verse 10, Kevin, go back to verse 10 for a second, will you please? You have the confession. I'm unworthy of all this. And now all of a sudden in verse 11, he makes the petition. He says, but please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. So he recognizes God, he confesses, and now here's the petition. Rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid of him. Otherwise, he may come and attack me, the mothers and their children. Now, right there, you guys, is huge. Why is this huge? This petition in his prayer is huge because he doesn't want the blessing. He doesn't want the seed to stop. He may come and attack me. He doesn't just say me. He says the mothers and their children. And so all of a sudden, the seed, praise the Lord. I, I, I can honestly, I actually believe that Jacob has this mindset. I don't want to lose this seed component right here. I don't want it all to be attacked. And so, God, I need you to intervene. I need you to show up. God, will you show me that you care? And he gets into this and he realizes, it's pretty crazy, that if this is all wiped off, so is the tribe of Judah. So is Jesus the Savior. If all of this is wiped off, the tribe of Benjamin and Paul and delivering the gospel, it's wiped up. And so, God, I need you to show up with my prayer. Because then in verse 12, he just says this, you have said, I will cause you to prosper and I will make your offspring like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. God, I'm reminding you of your promise. In fact, Kevin, would you go to Genesis 28, go to verse 14. I want to remind you, God, of the offspring that you have told me is going to happen in my life. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And so if you hit a pause button right there, God, if I'm going to go encounter my brother Esau and you choose to wipe me out with these 400 men, this militia, this is all done. God, you have said to me, you will fulfill this promise. You will multiply my descendants. You will be with me. You will see this like the sand. God, you have told me, and I think this is the first time he's cried out to the Lord. And I'm telling you guys, when you realize God's promises on your own life, when you realize a call on your life, The question is, is how much will you petition for what he's asked you to do? And so when I look at Jacob's prayer in 32 verses 9, 10, and 11, and you get to 12, he he just reminds him, God, you've asked me to do this. You have said this is going to happen, and I don't want you to stop. And so then in verse 13, watch what happens. He spent the night there, and he took part of what he had brought with him as a gift for his brother Esau. Okay, so now think about this, okay? It says... um, He's talking to the Lord. They're splitting up into two camps. And then in verse 14, he lists uh, all of the things that he's going to give. 200 female goats, 200, uh, 200, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 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 20 rams, who knows? 20 rams, keep going, 30 milk camels and rich, ready for that? With their young. 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. Like, look guys, here's the deal. He's given his brother like a crazy amount of animals. Now, some some folks say it's 550 animals. But if you count the 30 milk camels with their young, right, Rich? You could add another 30. So it could be 550 or 500 and 
80. All I know is, is that there's 550 to 580. And then here's what he does in verse 16 of Genesis 32. He entrusts these animals, 550 to 580, to his slaves as separate herds. And he says, go on ahead of me and leave some distance between the herds. <laughs> now he says, he gives the first speech. He tells his servant in verse 17, this is what I want you to say. When my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to? Where are you going? And whose animals are these ahead of you? This is what he says. Tell them they belong to your servant Jacob. Man, this goes back to, I think he's kissing rear right now. They're a gift sent to my Lord Esau. And look, he's behind us. Like, And if that's not enough, I want to make sure in verse 19, the second servant gets the same speech. So he also tells the second one, the third, and everybody who's walking behind the animals, say the same thing to Esau when you find him. I want you to bless the socks off of him. Call him Lord. Tell him I'm his servant. Here's the best of the best. So as he's telling his servants, he says, uh, your servant is behind us. But then he says, for he thought, I want to appease Esau. So this would prove my, prove my point here with the gift that's going on ahead of me. And after that, I can face him and perhaps he'll forgive me. So all of these gifts are to soften. Have you guys ever gotten into an argument with your spouse? <laughs> And then have you ever given them something in hopes that it works and it kind of just softens it? Kevin, have you done that before? Yeah, but it usually backwards. It doesn't work, does it? And really, all, all Jacob and Esau really want is forgiveness and reconciliation, not necessarily the blessing of these gifts. And so in verse 21 of Genesis 32, though, it says, as the gift was sent on ahead of him. Remember, when I first hear this, okay, my first thought is, is David. I don't know why. I go to David and Bathsheba. Like when everybody else is leaving him, my first thought is this is not going to be good. Like I feel like Jacob might be getting into trouble by sending everybody else and he's just going to stay in camp that night. But God, God says, no, Kyle, you're way wrong. I got a really fun plan. And so it says in verse 22, during the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female slaves. Okay. That's interesting, isn't it? Right there, you guys. I mean, that would be Billa and Zilpah. Probably his 11 sons, and they crossed the ford of Jabbok. Okay, now, so in a weird way, I still am not, I'm not comfortable with this yet because everybody else is leaving. They're going to encounter Esau who's mad and they're kind of basically, they're slipping out. But I will tell you this, it's just as dangerous. In my note, Dr. Tom Constable said, it's just as dangerous to go at night and take the risk uh, by crossing the ford of Jabbok. Like to cross this river at night is just as dangerous as it is to encounter 400 men and the militia of Esau. And yet I keep going back to, what about God's camp? What about the angels? What about, oh, by the way, I'm going to be with you the whole time. And it feels like constantly Jacob is like, he's like switching. He's like, he's praying, he's crying out to the Lord, and then he's trying to figure it out himself. I don't know if you guys do that a lot. I do. I'm like on my knees talking to the Lord and the next minute I'm like, well, how can I make this happen? <laughs> right? I mean, that, that, it feels like that's what Jacob is doing. And so it says in verse 23, he took them, he sent them across the stream along with all of his possessions. And then this is where God begins to show up. Finally, there's no distractions. There's no wives arguing over him. There's no sons fighting. There's no camels, milking camels and donkeys. and It's just him. And it says he wrestled with a man until daybreak. Kevin, if you would, I want you to go to Hosea 12, verse 2. I don't want to unpack this based on a minor prophet. Hosea 12, verse 2. It's an incredible picture. The Lord also had a dispute with Judah. 
He's about to punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him based on his actions. It continues on in verse 3. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel, right? So we know that Jacob grasped whose heel? Who was it? Esau. And as an adult, who did he wrestle with? He wrestled with God. Keep going, though, to verse 4. Jacob struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. Now, Rich, I know that we have this discussion right away as like, who's the man? Well, in verse 3, it clearly said God. In verse 4, Jacob struggled with the angel, capital A. And so we're equating this capital A, this angel, or God, and, and, and equating to God. I think you can actually say it's the pre-incarnate Christ. It is God in, in human form of some way of angel form. I don't know. All I know is that he's wrestling with God. And it says he prevailed. He wept. He sought his favor. He found him at Bethel. And there he spoke with him. In verse 5, Yahweh is the God of hosts. Yahweh is his name in verse 6. But you must return. Uh, we don't need to get into that. Well, but you must return to your God. Maintain love and justice and always put your hope in God. So go to Hosea 12, verse 3. Uh, I think we just because there's this constant conversation about who is he wrestling with. In Hosea, a minor prophet, he said he wrestled with God. So go back to verse 24, Kevin, if you would, of Genesis 32. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. So according to Hosea, he's wrestling with God. Now watch this as it continues to unfold in verse 25 as your backdrop. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip as they wrestled and dislocated in his hip socket. Hip socket. Um, I don't know. What do you guys, what do you think about all this? It's Jacob's will. God purposefully limits himself to not overpower somebody's will. I think this might help. This is kind of cool to me. Tom Constable says this. Abraham, okay, God came as a traveler when Abraham was a pilgrim. Okay, hang on here with me. God came as a soldier when Joshua was a general. Jacob, God came as a wrestler because Jacob is always wrestling. He's always struggling. I actually think he just shows up because this is his love language. If you think about everything that Jacob does, how many times does he not wrestle with somebody? And so I just feel like he's actually talking in a weird love language. And so, yeah, God could have totally trumped him. He could have totally knocked him out. Totally. But for some reason, we wanted to see this wrestling take place. And honestly, for me, I think it's a good picture. When I say, do you ever wrestle with the Lord? What would you say? Have you guys ever wrestled with the Lord on anything? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think to me, it's like, when will we wrestle to the point where we want to see something happen? I, that sounds weird, but that's what Jacob is doing. And in fact, go to Luke 22, verse 41. Luke 22, verse 41. Okay. First of all, you get into a physical battle, but then I think it's also Luke 22, verse 41. Then I think you see this about Jesus. Look at Jesus wrestling. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray. Verse 42. Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then in verse 43, then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him in verse 44. But being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. I see this picture, you guys, of Christ anguishing, wrestling with the father right here, just as much as Jacob wrestling with the angel. You could say, well, that, that might be a stretch, but I want to paint this picture of like, at what point will we press in in anguish, press in in wrestling before the Father? Because I think that's what he wants from us. 
I think he wants us to wrestle with, with issues. I think he wants us to cry out. In fact, Hebrews 5, 7. Hebrews 5, 7 has the same picture of like, guys, we cannot stop, but I think we stop too short. Ian Bound says we stop praying when we ought to start praying. And Hebrews 5, 7 says, during his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. This is an awesome picture, I believe, of wrestling, crying out, appealing. God, come on, show up. And I think sometimes we come to the table in prayer and we don't want anything. We're just like, Lord, bless this food. God, bring revival. But we don't cry out to him. How bad do you really want to see Elkhart County changed? How bad do you really want to see a move of God come to this nation? How bad do you want to see the Jews become jealous of what we have? I believe it's going to take the spirit of Jacob crying out and wrestling with the Lord in order for this to continue on in our lives. He's looking for wrestlers. He's looking for Jacobs that say, I want this. It's not selfish. I believe it brings all glory to the Lord. And so then you have this this battle in Genesis 32, verse 26. You go from a physical battle to a word battle. And he says, let me go. And then he said to Jacob, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Fine. Here he is. You guys, here's this. This is Jacob again. He's constantly trying to get something out of a situation. He said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. It's a good move. And then he says, what's your name? The man asked. And he says, Jacob, he replied. I love this. And why does he ask his name Jacob? Go back to that in 27. Why does he ask the name Jacob? I actually think because he wants an admission of guilt. I think he wants him to recognize, you tell me who you really are. I want you to actually confess to me. Because the last time he was asked his name, do you guys remember this? In Genesis 27, 18 and 19, his father says, what is your name? And he says, my name is Esau. He lied. And so for the first time, Jacob gets to have this opportunity before the Lord. This is who I am. I, I admit. And so in Genesis 32, verse 28, he says, your name will no longer be Jacob. No longer are you going to be associated with, with the cheating and the lying. No, no, no. Your name now will be Israel. Because you've struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Yeah, you've messed up. Yeah, you haven't done the greatest things. But because you've prevailed, I now want to call you Israel. One who struggles, one who strives, one who uh, God is with. And so uh, there's a commentator, Roop, this is what he says. Renaming uh, marker is a change of direction and context for an individual. Like there's a shift. It doesn't always mean, though, there's a change of character of the inner person. And I think what you'll see, this is a really cool image, and I, I would have never picked this up. What you're going to see throughout Scripture is that when Moses, the writer, whenever he references Jacob, it's usually in line with the flesh. And whenever you see him mention Israel, it's in line with the spirit. Just kind of watch that, that as, as scripture unfolds. Whenever he references Jacob, it's not always the best. When he references Israel, oh yes. And so it's a cool image of like, this is where I want you to go. It's a cool picture for me. And there's a lot here. But I'll just say this, then, then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And, and he blessed him there. Oh, man, you guys. I, again, there's a lot here. But there's a dialogue, a word battle, a wrestling. And Jacob then named the place Peniel. For I've seen God face to face. And he said, I have been delivered. Why I like this language is that we had said right before he had met Esau that he needed inner healing. 
I believe that this name change brings that about. Only, though, when he sees the Lord in the situation. You guys, anybody that's been inner healed can always go back to themselves. Is that true? Would you agree? They can always go back. But when you think about the Israel and not the Jacobs, then it works. But a lot of us want to go back to our Jacobs and he's saying, no, 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 no. You've been delivered when you focus on your name change and who I am in your life. I know I talked about this a little bit, but I had a random, I know my, my name is Kyle Lance Martin. And I always went by Kyle and I always went by Kyle L. Martin. I don't want to get into all the details. I just know at one point the Lord just said, now you can use Kyle Lance Martin. Like now you can address that. Not in some weird, hey, there's a guy with three names. Like that's stupid. That's not me. It's the Lord just said, I want you to integrate Kyle Lance Martin for the meaning of what it, of what it means in my life. And so I, I just feel like there's seasons when we've been set free when the Lord speaks into us. And so, you know, is, is this person the pre-incarnate Christ? All I know is that in Hosea 12, it says it's God. And I know it says I've seen God face to face and I've been delivered because, you know, most of the time, if you saw God in the Old Testament, you were going to die. And in fact, uh, in Hagar, in Genesis 16, 13, she encountered the angel of God. But then you have in Exodus 33, verse 20, no one, Scripture says, Exodus 33, 20, nobody can see God and live. You know, he can't see my face where nobody can see me and live. And then you have in Judges 13, 21 through 22, where here you have uh, manna, uh, uh, when the flame went up from the altar to the sky. Oh, hang on here. Uh, go to 21, if you would. Then the angel of the Lord did not appear again to Manoah and his wife. That, then Manoah realized it was the angel of the Lord. And then verse 22, we're going to die because we've seen God. The mentality is if you saw God face to face, you're going to die. And what Jacob says is, oh, I've seen God face to face, but I'm, I've been delivered. I'm not going to die. And so the only conclusion that I have, and I can't prove it, so I'm just going to tell you now, is that he didn't see God the Father, he saw God the Son. So in verse 31, uh, I just want to say this, this is cool. The sun shone on him, of Genesis 32, as he passed by Penuel, limping because of his hip. That's weird. You have the same version. Uh, now watch, though. You guys remember how, like, in our weakness, he's made strong? So when I think about the wrestling, when I think about Jacob and God wrestling, I go to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And this is how I want to wrap up lesson 17. Uh, this is how I want to wrap it up. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 11. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. Verse 10, so I am pleased in weaknesses. And insults and catastrophes and persecutions and in pressures because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Scripture continues, I've become a fool. You forced it on me. I should have been endorsed by you since I am not in any way inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. The apostle Paul just says, look, man, I got nothing unless God is working in me. And I think that there is a portion of Jacob that I begin to see now that he's made weak, uh, God has made strong in him. And so I, I love this image. And so it says in verse 32 of Genesis 32, that is why to this day, do you guys know this? The Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket because he struck Jacob's hip socket at the thigh muscle. This is still true today. The Orthodox Jews still don't eat the sinew of the hip that is on the socket of the hip. It's a tradition because of Jacob. Uh, and I love this. And then I got passed into the Mosaic law as well. Wow. Genesis 32 is packed full 
And uh, in your reading, you're also been asked to read Genesis 33. We're not going to teach on it, but you just need to know that they end up meeting. Jacob and Esau end up meeting. Esau actually runs to Jacob. Uh, Jacob doesn't testify about all the uh, the past, but there is a truce that took place. I wouldn't say reconciliation. I would say there was a truce, as one commentator says. And so to me, God continues to move through Jacob. Through imperfect people, you see a perfect plan, which is the seed of Christ to advance throughout all generations. Lesson 17, there you have it. It's a lot, but I'm excited because guess what? We'll get to do it again tomorrow. Thanks.